Welcome back to Radio Brews News, the podcast that finds that less is more. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, co-host, executive producer, and apparently co-editor of Australian Brews News, Peter Mitchum. Prof, welcome back. Oh, uh, hey, yeah. uh, G'day, Matt. G'day, listeners. Good to have you all back. Uh, just a clarification on that. Okay, sometimes you can't help what other people describe you at. And what, what Matt's referring to is last night, uh, and look, a blatant plug here for our... Um, uh, for one of our sponsors, but since you brought it up, Matt, I'll go with it. Uh, Ballarat Beer Festival went to the launch last night uh, up in beautiful Ballarat. About 80 or 90 of the local stakeholders, uh, sponsors, Ballarat Tourism Commission, the Mayor, the Councillor, uh, and various other uh, folk from um, around about came along and enjoyed the uh, the launch. And I was asked to uh, by the MC to come up and uh, and just present a little bit about the uh, the Eureka Marquee, which is a, a new innovation this year for the Ballarat Beer Festival, and I was described as co-editor of uh, Australian Brews News. That's no, it. No, 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 that's okay. I saw it on Twitter. It came through, and you know, you you, you do have to worry uh, these days because sometimes you know coups are announced by Twitter, and uh, I just wanted to make sure that there hadn't been an uprising uh, in in in. in... The yeah, so. Uh, so no, that, that that's all it was. So. Yeah. But it was, it was terrific and uh, yeah, very much looking forward to the Ballarat Beer Festival. It, it will be a cracker. So, well, mate, th- there is a lot that we could probably talk about. Um, Moa, uh, the, the, the Moa scandal or the, the Moa brouhaha um, is one of them. And, you know, lots of other things. But we've literally just recorded a very long interview with Brad Rogers um, wearing his many hats in the Australian beer industry. So, uh, you know, pretty much anyone could get from uh, Melbourne to... Uh, Beechworth and back listening to that one. So we won't go into too much of an intro. We'll just uh, go straight to Brad and uh, have a bit of a chat at the end. How does that sound, Prof? Yeah, let's do that. Let's get him on. And now we're joined by Brad Rogers, who's the head brewer at uh, Stonewood Brewing Company in uh, Byron Bay. Um, he's also been appointed to the to be head judge of the Australian National Beer Awards. He's the president or, or, or chair of the Craft Beer Industry Association. Brad, could we just you know, shorten all of this by calling you the president of beer? Well, maybe that's probably going a little bit far, but <laughs> Brad will do. <laughs> Brad. <laughs> well, Brad, welcome to Radio Brews News. Very much uh, looking forward to it, having a chat. Yeah, excited. It, it, it's, it, it's something that I think we should have done uh, well before now because we could have concentrated on some of the, the more recent things. But uh, I, I, I don't think that we can get you on and find it, you know, without finding out a little bit about you know, who Brad Rogers is and where he's come from. So we might start with that. And uh, But how did you get into the brewing industry? Mate, a long time ago, I, uh, I wanted to uh, be a brewer when I was, you know, what, eight or ten years old and sort of went through school and did a whole bunch of things. I've worked in pubs and uh, worked in hospitality, done hospitality courses. But I always had this burning desire to actually uh, understand more about beer and brewing. So... Back in those years, uh, it was the early, or the late 80s, early 90s, there was no actual uh, you know, long brewing course in the country. Uh, I didn't know any German, so I had to stay in the country. I could have gone to Europe and maybe study, but I really wanted to stay uh, here. And I, I ended up doing the winemaking course, a Bachelor of uh, Science in Enology, and uh, to this day have many friends uh, in the wine industry, but that really gave me uh, the, the length and breadth of, you know, understanding fermentation and, you know, those sorts of things. Uh, finishing finishing up in that course, uh, I, I moved, uh, you know, from there into a couple of wineries, did a few vintages, but again, really a burning desire to get into beer. Uh, got a call from 
the Fosters group, gee, when was that? 93, 94, uh, went from the Eden Valley, uh, went from the Eden Valley pretty much directly to Sydney, uh, where I worked then for the next, what, 14 or 15 years across the Fosters business, uh, obviously across beer uh, in this country. Uh, ended up being asked to go to Fiji. Uh, where we ran the breweries and the distillery and was really there the whole small batch smaller brewing uh, really got me excited i was asked to come back from fiji in uh what 99 i think it was 99 2000 uh came back from fiji and straight to sanctuary cove and you know sanctuary cove is really where you know we got uh, heavily involved in real craft brewing uh you know as we know it today uh, it was, you know, great fun back in those days, the early, uh, the early 2000s or whatever it was, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2003. Uh, the whole Sanctuary Cove Brewing Company up there on the Gold Coast uh, did, did an enorm uh, enormous uh, amount of, uh, you know, beers up there, you know, really understanding what, you know, the different malts and hops and various things do to beer and brewing. It was really nice to actually be involved in, you know, uh, you know, brewing a lot of these uh, beers, which we still see on the market today. Uh, you know, back in those days, we started the whole bees knees thing. Uh, the you know Bohemian Pills was uh, you know started up there. Uh, Alpha Pale Ale, a lot of beers, which you know a lot of your listeners will know, went on uh, to still being successful today with the Matilda Bay business. And you know, with uh, with obviously the help of uh, you know people in the Foster's business like Jamie, uh, Jamie Cook. Uh, you know, we set about, uh, I suppose, you know, reinventing, uh, you know, the, the Matilda Bay uh, name, the Matilda Bay beers and the Matilda Bay brands, uh, you know, in the early 2000s. So we left Sanctuary Cove and pretty much went down to Melbourne, had a short stint in the distillery business uh, for Foster's, uh, but ended up uh, down in Melbourne where, you know, under the, really under the guise of, uh, you know, Jamie, uh, you know, we had a very small team where you know we i suppose i mean the the easiest way to say is reinventing a lot of these things i mean the, the beers like redback were already out there but you know they were sort of just drifting along and you know what uh, jamie drove was a lot of uh, absolute dedication to what craft's all about uh had a great time you know we had some great people come and go some you know some still uh, through that business some very very good friends uh but yeah i suppose at the end of the day uh you know we were working for a fairly large business uh, we wanted to, I suppose, drive our own uh, destiny a bit. And when was that, uh, you know, what, geez, probably five or six years ago, uh, you know, Jamie, Ross and myself decided that, yeah, we would, um, you know, leave the Foster's business uh, and go and set up our own business, which everyone knows today is uh, Stone and Wood. But as we say, uh, you know, the three of us are actually the first uh, bunch of people to actually leave the Foster's business to go and set up another brewing business and you know that, uh, that that was quite a huge decision it wasn't something you sort of make uh, you know in, in you know overnight uh, it was a lot of things for us all to decide you know moving families uh, the day that uh, Christine and I actually left Melbourne to drive up to Byron was three and a half weeks after our fourth child was born so yeah there was lots uh, lots going on in all of our lives uh, Great, uh, great times though. Wouldn't would not change uh, wouldn't not change a thing uh, for anything. So, mate, you're making it very hard. You know, there's almost no need to ask questions. So, Brad, going back, a lot of people who you know have come to craft beer fairly recently wouldn't remember some of the older breweries like the Sanctuary Cove um, Brewing Company. 
Um, did Foster start that, or did they they buy that um, back in the day? Back in the mid '80s, when Sanctuary Cove uh, was just literally on the drawing board, one of the things they wanted to do at that uh, complex—it's a gated community, whole bunch of shops, marinas, restaurants, uh, the Hyatt Hotel. One of the things they wanted to do was actually have their own brewery. So they built Sanctuary Cove as a entity built their own brewery, hundred uh, percent, uh, you know, German gear. They they designed it, chipped it all across. Uh, when I got there, you know, the, the brewery was certainly fully installed and you know operating. But Foster's uh, Foster's got uh, involved in that very very early on in the Sanctuary Cove life. I suppose at the end of the day, Sanctuary Cove was Sanctuary Cove, and you know it went through quite a lot of uh, change. It's obviously doing pretty well now, but back in the times we were there, the whole place was in receivership. There was a lot of people on edge, but man, at the end of the day, that wasn't our uh, that wasn't really our issue. Uh, we just got on with, you know, I suppose, learning about, uh, you know, craft beer. But Foster certainly got a, got involved in that very, very early on. Uh, and I suppose for me, it was great that they did. Uh, they, you know, this, back in those days, the senior management, a few of the senior management actually had, uh, you know, houses in the area. Maybe, maybe that drove some decisions. I'm not sure. Those guys are, are long gone from the Foster's business now. It, it, it's funny the the way the business operates because for, you know Foster's bought uh, Sanctuary Cove. They had a you know a, a fairly good brand down there, um, but then they closed it down, sold off the kit. Um, you know, craft beer went through a little bit of a um, hiatus. I, I suppose, uh, I suppose I back in those days, they I mean they shut it down for a whole bunch of reasons. The main reason that the Sanctuary Cove business, or at the time. Uh, you know, when it was closed down, it was called the Masthead Brewing Company. So initially it was Sanctuary Cove, then it became the Gold Coast uh, Brewery. And then, uh, you know, as we said back with uh, Jamie, we rebranded that, uh, the Masthead Brewing Company. At that time, you know, Sanctuary Cove was in a lot of, uh, Sanctuary Cove, the, 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 the resort, I suppose you'd say, the, the residential was in, you know, in a fair bit of drama. Uh, Foster's had, a, I think, a year or so left on its lease and mate, they were actually asked to move out because the Sanctuary Cove business wanted to redevelop the site where the brewery was and it was actually a really good move. Uh, Foster's uh, were able to buy that gear at a very, very good price. They pulled it out, they put it at the back of the Yatla Brewery and uh, you know, quite a few years on, uh, you know, a lot of that equipment, especially the, the tanks, we had something like 15 5,000 litre tanks at Changsu Cove. A lot of those tanks ended up uh, being relocated down uh, to the garage as part of the Matilda Bay business in Melbourne. Uh, Yeah, so it it certainly wasn't Foster's going, oh, I've had enough of uh, being at Sanctuary Cove. It was actually more driven by the fact that Sanctuary Cove wanted to use the site where the brewery was. And, you know, you've got to remember that, you know, we're talking, what, nine, ten years ago, the craft beer industry in this country certainly changed a lot, you know, since those decisions were made. I, well, I, I didn't realise that. Uh, I didn't realise that that was the uh, the background of the Sanctuary Cove. But I do remember reading an article uh, in in the early to mid, um, yeah, what, what do we call that the first decade of the, the century in, in, in the early two thousands, um, where Willie Simpson credited you with uh, reviving um, the beers at Matilda Bay that under your stewardship the um, you know the, the beers really picked up again. Yeah. Um, so I. I guess it would then be fair to say that Matilda Bay uh, was bought by 
Fosters um, and was allowed to languish a little bit uh, back in those days. And uh, you got back into the serious business of making beer when you were with them. Yeah, oh, definitely. You know, I don't think there's any secret in the fact that, you know, that uh, there was less uh, interest in craft beer, you know, in the, you know, through the 90s and the, you know, the early, uh, the very, very early 2000s. But, you know, I think we all know that that's completely changed in the last 10 years. It's interesting you say that, though, because uh, we spoke to Vincent Rui um, from Foster's uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago now, and you know, he's he's got the uh, marketing responsibility or the portfolio responsibility for craft beer, and he made the comment that you know since the SAB Miller takeover, they've gotten very focused on craft beer because uh, Matilda Bay had been let to die on the vine, um, and he's talking about the last... Three or four years was that something that and was that something you found before you left? Oh, I wouldn't say before we left, but uh, yeah, certainly in the last you know few years uh, that you know that might have been the case in the Foster's business. But I suppose you know when we when we you know with Jamie and Ross and uh, the team back in the Matilda Bay days, you know we, we drove it uh, you know as a as a small business within a very large business. Uh, you know Jamie Roscoe and I left five or six years ago. Uh, so what yeah. they've been doing since then, you know, we're we're not as close uh, to that business as obviously we once were. But yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's up for those guys to really work out. You know, at the end of the day, uh, with Stone and Wood, we've uh, you know we've we've got our own challenges to sort of march forward. And mate, those guys will work it out. I'm sure they're they're a fairly big company. When when you look at the success of Stone and Wood, you know, your comparative success in a fairly short time. I mean, could that count as an opportunity lost for Fosters? Because you look at the intellectual property that Stone and Wood has, which is, you know, you, um, Jamie Cook and uh, Ross Jurisic, um, who were all together at uh, Matilda Bay. Um, I, I guess what you guys are now achieving um, could have been done through Matilda Bay if they, if Fosters was a little bit savvier. Is, is, is that a fair thing to oh, say? Oh, you know, we've, we've sort of heard those sort of things in the past. It'd be very, very difficult for us to comment on that, but... You know, I think at the end of the day, what we've been able to achieve uh, outside of a large business uh, in what we've been able to do with the Stonewood business has been quite phenomenal. And yeah, I mean, the three of us are, a, you know, a great team. We get on uh, very, very well. and We're all across, you know, what everyone's uh, up to. But, you know, we all have our own sort of specialties, uh, you know, Jamie being very much strategic, uh, you know, marketing, you know, Roscoe being across sales. You know, whether it be a small uh, customer in the in the back blocks of uh, Surrey Hills in Sydney, or some of the you know the larger customers that we have across the country, uh, you know, Roscoe is certainly across that. And then you know, operational, uh, you know, production sort of stuff. You know, obviously that's my bent as well. I think the really nice thing is the three of us love what we do. Uh, you know, I think and I think that's the important thing that comes out in the stone and wood business. You know, I think it's uh, hearsay and. You know, to quote someone, uh, you know, we're sort of chasing ghosts by, uh, by, by wondering what would have happened if we all would have stayed back in the Fosters business. Uh, we all left, you know, on you know, pretty good terms from the from uh, the Fosters business. We're all happy that we've done what we've done. Uh, we love, uh, we love what we do, and mate, honestly, we we just can't wait to see what happens between now and Christmas, and then you know, as we uh, as we move through the the business. For us, it's just one day at a time, uh, and at the moment, as we said, it's just about, as a small business like us, it's just about getting to Christmas. Uh, you know, it, it becomes, 
uh, you know, financially pretty difficult for us to ensure that, you know, we've got enough cash to actually get through things. And uh, yeah, you know, we've got this far and, you know, we're, we're very, very tight uh, across the business. We don't waste uh, money doing anything. And for us, it's all about spending, you know, spending the money that we have on ensuring that we've got, you know, glass, cardboard, malt, grain, uh, you know, to be able to produce the beer that uh, we want to be able to sell. So. And Brad, just on a, a, I guess, a historical note, for those perhaps wondering uh, or not aware of the whole stone and wood uh, name in terms of its 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 origins, there's yeah. a bit of a, you know, one of those craft beer stories, I guess, that goes around that uh, for quite a while, uh, in fact, since your days in Fiji, when you collect some volcanic rocks and uh, you've sort of toted them around with you. Uh, ever since then, and I guess Christine is probably the happiest person that you've settled in Byron Bay and actually put put those volcanic rocks to use in uh, the stone part of of stone and wood. Is that is there a little bit of truth to that rumor? You know, not not really at all. Actually, I mean the 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 name stone and wood really came out of you know us obviously not wanting to be Byron Bay this or Byron Bay that. You know, the words are very humble, they're very earthy, uh, very much down to earth, very much the way we actually are. In terms of the rocks that I've been dragging around uh, from Fiji, we did a lot of underground cooking in Fiji. Uh, you know, the, we, these are the rocks that, you know, Fiji was a very, uh, very special place to both Christina and I. I've dragged these rocks around. We've used them as uh, cooking rocks underground, like a lobo, like the hungi, Fijian uh, lobo, the mm. New Zealand hungi. Uh, in terms of using those rocks, it was just something that sort of made a whole lot of sense. Uh, we had the rocks. Uh, we wanted to make uh, a beer of that sort of style. Uh, you know, our lager has a you know Germanic uh, influence on it as well. It just all made sense. The, certainly, going back to the the, the actual naming of our business, uh, Stone and Wood, uh, didn't have a whole lot to do with the fact that I had a bucket of rocks. <laughs> but it, I think the important thing is that the Stone and Wood, you know, really comes to life. Uh, you know, as you see the beers, as you drink the beers, uh, it's not so much, uh, you know, not so much the rocks from Fiji. So, Brett, when you um, set up the Stone and Wood Brewery, what what was the thinking behind that? You know, what 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 was the plan? Has has the plan been what we see now, or have things evolved as you? Oh on? no, I think uh, definitely what you see as Stone and Wood now is, you know, certainly where we wanted to be. Uh, you know, I I think the three of us are very surprised at. Uh, you know, how much beer we're actually selling at this time. Uh, you know, we certainly had a plan to, to build a brew house that could certainly do, you know, quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of beer. We started with very, uh, a very small number of tanks. We actually only started with three uh, 5,000 litre tanks. Uh, we then moved to five of those tanks, then seven, then eight. So we, it was back in the, back early in this year, we only had eight of those 5,000 litre tanks. Uh, in when was that March? We bought our first two hundred hectolitre tanks, and just last week we put in our second lot of hundred hectolitre tanks. So, I mean, I think very cleverly uh, we started with a brew house that we sort of flapped around with, uh, you know, a bit. You know, we're sort of you know doing you know two to four brews a week. You know, we're doing upwards of ten and twelve brews a week at the moment. So we we knew that. The, we actually knew the brew house could uh, produce the beer. We just needed to ensure that we didn't uh, overcapitalize on tanks too early. Uh, we, you know, we've spent the capital money on uh, tanks and fermenters in the brewery uh, as we've needed them, uh, and I think that's been, you know, very uh, a, a 
pretty clever business model for us. Because I'm, I'm sure, thinking back to what it was, 2008, when you, you first announced that you were setting up the brewery, um, I remember when we first spoke about it, and uh, my memory of that is that you were initially just going to go as a draft-only offering, um, yeah. and you didn't initially install a bottling line, but from you know, within 12 months you had the, the bottling line and you had the lager. Was that a change of plan, or...? Oh, you know, I mean, initially, you know, we certainly wanted to, you know, go out with only one or two beers. We didn't want to be the brewery that had, you know, 30 or 40 different beers. You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure that we could produce, you know, two beers of the quality that we're, you know, that we still continue to produce uh, as best we possibly can. I think as you start having, you know, 30, 40 sort of different beers across a year, uh, you know, becomes it becomes a fairly difficult task to manage those beers through the system and ensure that every single batch is absolutely perfect. In terms of the, the kegs and the bottles, uh, you know, we, we, we were always going to put in a, a small packaging line. We always wanted to, you know, get some bottle uh, product, you know, out to the market. But, you know, in terms of a business model, uh, you, you know, your, your brands are certainly made uh, you know, in, in the draft beer sort of territory, you know, getting people to come up and uh, spend a few dollars on a beer, uh, pretty, pretty powerful stuff when, you, when, you know, when you're a business starting off. Matty, I suppose the other thing, Pete, the other thing, you know, I mean, the business models definitely do change. I don't think you can just sit there and go, mate, this is our model, it's 2005, uh, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, five or six or seven years ago, the craft beer market, the craft beer industry in this country in New Zealand and across the world was, you know, very different to what we see today. There's so many more breweries uh, in this country, you know, really doing some really good things. But, you know, I think your business model has to be uh, fluid enough to actually be able to move, uh, you know, and, and be manipulated with, uh, you know, with what's going on in the industry. At the end of the day, everything's driven by what the consumers are you know, going to be drinking. I think, I think that's a really important thing. You obviously... Sort of found a sweet spot when you uh, released the uh, Pacific Ale at, at a time when the craft brewery were the, the craft brewing industry seemed to be going for the real um, niche, you know, of very extreme beers or beers that have a lot of flavour and may not be the most sessionable of beers. Um, you you came out with a beer that was a, a little bit lighter, a little bit lower in alcohol, you know, obviously very interesting and uh, distinctive, but not the most uh, yeah, challenging um, beer going. So you, yep. you, you found a sweet spot. Um, but that also seems to, you know, it's been very successful. Um, it's taken off, but that's brought its own problems, hasn't it? Because uh, you, you mentioned the number of times you've had to expand. I think you've had to install tanks twice this year. And yep. you, when I did the calculations yesterday, the um, brewery is now something like five times bigger than it was when you started just three years yep, ago. The number, so in your certainly the number of tanks, yep, definitely. Um, I mean, that sort of growth has got to bring its own problems, doesn't it? Oh, because uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, cash is king. It's good to have the tanks in there, but as we uh, as we move the beer through the brew, we've got to ensure that we've got kegs, we've got bottles, cartons, crown seals, labels. That that's just the simple reality of running a small business. Though it's not, you know, it's not a crying session. Uh, the three of us knew exactly what we were getting ourselves in for. You know, it's it's a we keep, as we keep saying uh, between the three of us, it's a really good problem to have. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, we, we could easily, uh, do, you know, simply not 
get more tanks, not produce more beer and sort of just, you know, level out. Uh, but certainly for us, you know, we see that the brand's got a lot more legs, uh, you know, and we will continue to invest you know, in tanks and, and in equipment to ensure that, you know, we can supply, uh, you know, that that's what a small business is all about. What's been the greatest challenge you've had to face uh, in owning your own brewery and having to start, you know, when, when you're working from Matilda Bay and a lot of the problems are a little bit more easily solved because you've got a national network. When you're starting with a small brewery in Byron Bay, you know, what problem, what, what have you found the greatest problems uh, to overcome? Yeah, that, that's a real easy one. I suppose, you know, we're, we're in Byron Bay, you know, freight is probably one of our biggest things. It's freighting beer out, freighting raw materials in. And, you know, the simple fact that, you know, when we ship kegs or, you know, around the, around the country, you've got to get the empty kegs back. So that sort of uh, adds the freight costs. Uh, you know, we certainly un- we, we certainly knew that the cost would be up there. That was probably a bit of a surprise. But just the simple management of money, uh, you know, and, and I don't think that's, well, I know it's not specific to uh, craft brewing. It's just the simple uh, management of, uh, you know, of, of your cash flow, uh, that financial rigour that, uh, that we need to ensure in a small business like Stone & Wood is absolutely vital. You know, I can't stress, you know, there's been times where, you know, we, we simply haven't been able to afford things or do things or whatever. Uh, you know, and that, that, that's just the simple reality of it. The big difference, you know, with, uh, you know, with what we're doing now, you know, back, back in the older days, our, our banker, you know, we might have had a check signed off with the words Foster's on the bottom of it. Now, you know, now we've got the ANZ Bank and, uh, you know, not, not a lot of difference there. You know, we still need to... You know, we still need to, uh, you know, ensure that, uh, you know, we're running the business properly. It's interesting you mentioned that the logistics um, is an issue because I think that there are headline issues that, um, you know, people refer to uh, as being problems for craft brewers. And, uh, you know, one of those is things like tap contracts. But, you know, from watching for a while and listening to craft brewers and most importantly listening to publicans, it sounds like, um, logistics and fulfilment um, is seems to be one of the, the biggest unspoken issues. Actually, getting beer to venues in good quality, you know, in in good order, and in a timely fashion. Yep. Oh, definitely. So you know, for us, we use a you know a local freight uh, uh, partner. Uh, they've been fantastic. It took us you know not too long to actually find uh, these guys. It's Shoebridge uh, up in uh, Mwilumba. These guys have been fantastic. They now look after a lot of our raw materials coming into the brewery, but also uh, as that truck comes into the brewery to unload, we're actually backloading these trucks. Uh, you know, and uh, moving beer, you know, into Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, you know, wherever the beer's uh, got to go. The freshness of beer is still, you know, the most vital thing in brewing. You need to ensure that your beer is as fresh, uh, you know, and, and it's best best quality. Uh, you need to ensure that your brewery is very clean. You need to be ensure that your processes are perfect. Uh, you know, tanks are cleaned properly, sanitised properly, kegs are cleaned and sanitised properly. Uh, bottling processes are, you know, 100% perfect because if the beer doesn't leave the brewery perfect, it's never going to stay perfect. As you move through that logistics side of thing, once the brewery, once the beer actually leaves the brewery gate, yeah, I mean, you know, keeping things cold for as long as possible, getting things directly into, you know, cool rooms uh, as quickly as possible, yeah, vital. Uh, you know, these are all, again, these are all the things that, you know, as small business owners in the craft beer business, you know, we all knew we just need to make sure that we've got, 
uh, all of these boxes ticked every single day. You know, you can't you can't let one uh, day go by. You know, where where you're not actually thinking about all these things, and you know that that's the beauty, I think, of being a small business owner uh, and doing something that we love doing so much. And craft beer, it's fantastic. I think some of the um, you know, most heated discussions we've had on Brews News have been about things like uh, parallel imports and uh, you know, grey market beer. Um, you made the mention that uh, freshness and you know getting the beer refrigerated or at least in good condition to, to venues. Um, is very important. Um, I was recently in a venue that bills itself as being a major craft beer venue and I walked in and you know, sitting in the corner of the bar were 15 kegs of an American hoppy uh, or 15 kegs of American hoppy ales um, that you know, had been uh, kegged about three months before and had been delivered uh, at least by the tickets on the, on the thing two weeks and were just sitting in a you know, in an ambient temperature bar because they obviously didn't have stock to or room to store them. Um, those sorts of things seem to be one of the things that the retail industry is, is um, grappling with. They want interesting and fresh craft beer, although they want interesting and flavoursome craft beers, but the infrastructure around that doesn't seem to have the capacity, you know, most venues don't seem to have the capacity to store the beers that they want to sell and keep them an issue. It, oh, it, sure. it, yeah. Is that an? Is that something that the you know over time we, we need to really look oh, at? Oh, definitely. You know, as venues again, as venues evolve and you know change and uh, you know are remodelled, you know bigger cool rooms will certainly uh, play a large uh, part. I suppose it's a compromise again. It's all about you know the business model that the venue operator wants to run with. Uh, you know, getting you know getting people through the door, having enough space to have all those people, and trade off as uh, how big his cool room is. You know, there there are pubs around the place uh, which are you know which have got space outside their venues that are putting in small refrigerated containers, small cool rooms, just to be able to store beer. I think at the end of the day, there are a lot of really really good venues around this country, uh, and that's evolved enormously in the last ten years as well. That are obviously you know got their stuff together and doing the job properly. Uh, when when you see a really good venue pouring, you know, good beer made by good brewers, uh, you know, you know it can be done. If it can be done once, it can be, uh, you know, done more than once. Whenever I raise that issue uh, about you know venues not looking after beer, um, a lot of uh, people sort say to me, "Oh, you know, it, it's the brewer's fault. Um, you know, the, you know the, the brewer has no say once he sells his beer." He has no say and he's got no rights to, to make sure of it. Yet there are some brewers, and Greg Cook in the USA is one, and there are one or two brewers um, over here, um, and Brendan Virus is an example. They're very particular about who they let sell their beer um, because they want to make sure that the experience that the consumer is getting is the experience that they as a brewer uh, um, you know, in, in, in yep, intend. Yep, yep. Um, you know, do, do, do you guys at Stone and Wood ever, you know, or would you ever sort of say to a, a venue, look, you know, we, we, thanks for wanting to stock our beer, but, you know, we just don't think you're set up for Mate, it? Mate, I think at the moment, uh, you know, for us, you know, our biggest uh, issue with supplying more customers is the fact that we probably don't have the beer to be able to supply them. So the, so the, <laughs> so the customers that we are supplying, 
you know, uh, we need to ensure that we can maintain supply because we don't want to be, uh, you know, we don't want to be, uh, I suppose, going against them. At the end of the day, these are the customers that have built, that assisted us building our brand to get to where it is. They're the guys at the coal front with the consumer, you know, pouring draft beer. Uh, in terms of a selection process of our beers to venues, I mean, I think everyone uh, goes through, uh, uh, you know, some sort of selection process. Certainly for us, you know, it's not a shotgun effect where we just go and go, yeah, that pub, that pub, that pub. You know, we're, we're, we're dedicated to ensuring that the beers that uh, are pouring our beers are the best venues, sorry, the venues that are pouring our beer, uh, you know, the, are the best uh, venues that, you know, that we can find. I, I think that's a really nice position to be in. Uh, and I think that's really the position, you know, of a lot of craft brewers around the country. I mean, a lot of, a lot of small brewers like us, you know, simply can't make enough beer to, to be able to supply every single pub in the, you know, in the country. So there really is a selection, you know, process, whether it's talked about or not. Now, there are some really good operators, some big operators, some small operators, some independent guys and some not so independent guys completely around, you know, across uh, the length and breadth of uh, this country. Uh, you know, it, it again it comes back to your business model. It's very important that you uh, select the right venues that are appropriate for your beers. Brad, in terms of the beer itself, um, and I guess you've, in your experience in the in the craft beer community, you've seen a lot of brands start out. You've seen some of them sort of uh, flourish, and some of them kind of stagnate, and what have you. In terms of marketing, what to what extent is 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 marketing? Uh, I, I guess it's you know it's a it's a bruised news, um, you know, um, favorite topic. Yeah. Uh, how, how important is it? I mean, obviously you've got Jamie Cook up there, who's uh, you know, that, that, that's his gig. Yeah, I mean, Jamie's a master at it. He's been doing it for a very, very long time. You know, he's got a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of credit for doing a lot of things in beer across this country. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, like we said before, the three of us, are, you know, are such a good team across all of these various uh, areas. You know, we're all sort of uh, across them, but, you know, we all have our own vent, and certainly with marketing, you know, Jamie is, uh, you know, Jamie's up there with, you know, some of the best around. I mean, you, you know, uh, marketing is very, very important. There's no point creating the best beer in the, you know, the best liquid beer in, you know, in the world and having, you know, an awful looking label put on it uh, with something that is not appropriate, you know, in this, you know, probably a few examples around the world of those sorts of things. Yeah, it's very important to make sure that when the consumer walks into a bottle shop, they see that six pack or that bottle or that carton, you know, sitting on the sitting on the shelf, sitting in the fridge, sitting anywhere that is visually appealing to them as a consumer. When they uh, rip the top off, it's got to be, in, you know, it's 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 got to taste uh, perfect as well. So I don't think one is more or less important than the other. I think they really do need to go uh, hand in hand. Um, so in saying that, you know, there's there's probably beers and brands out there that are over marketed. Uh, I think with craft beer, it's all about discovery as well. And, you know, there, there's no point, uh, you know, throwing too much, uh, you, you know, you're not going to see too many craft beer TV commercials. Uh, you know, that's probably craft beer marketing gone a little bit too far. I think with craft beer, it is that discovery process and individual consumers actually finding things themselves, whether it be on, you know, Twitter, uh, Facebook, across the various blogs, you know, around the world, but at least they're discovering it for themselves. And I think, you know, going forward, you know, marketers of beer and specifically craft beer, uh, you know, need to certainly take that into uh, into consideration. Following on from that, Brad, then how 
big a decision was it to change uh, to Pacific Ale from the original name of Sunday Draft Ale? Yeah, you know, I mean, we're big enough to go, well, maybe we got it wrong. So, uh, you know, as a business, you know, we sat down long and hard. We went, you know, as, as we've spoken about before, as Stone and Wood, you know, our first beer out there was the, was our draft ale. Uh, you know, we, we were going to leave that beer just in kegs. I mean, there's no real uh, secrets in any of that. But at the end of the day, as we said, you know, things evolve and things change. Uh, you know, for a whole bunch of reasons, we decided to move from draft ale to Pacific ale. And Pacific ale just makes a whole lot of sense. You know, we are the brewery on the, you know, on the most easterly point of, you know, of the country. We're obviously close to the Pacific, uh, the Pacific Ocean. The Galaxy hops, you know, come from the Pacific Ring. You know, the hops that we use in there, the Galaxy hops, you know, uh, you know, Bushy Park uh, hops. Uh, just makes just makes a whole lot of sense, and it probably means a little bit a little bit more to consumers as well, where they go, well, you know, I'll have a draft ale, but hang on, draft means keg, keg means in a bar on tap, but I'll have one in the bottle, thanks. And for us, Pacific Ale, uh, you know, the change to that just made a whole lot of sense. It was important to do it at the time we did, where you know we were still you know an emerging and are still an emerging uh, you know beer and a brand. Uh, it's pretty important to get those things right. But I think also equally important, it's also to say to yourself, well, you know, happy to say that we might have, you know, that we might have misjudged that, in the, you know, in the beginning. But man, it, I suppose five or six years ago, we had so many things going on, you know, uh, draft ale made a lot of sense to us, uh, you know, when we came out with the draft ale. But I can't stress happy enough for us to say as a business that, you know, if we got it wrong, we're happy, happy enough to jump up and down and go, yeah, we done it, we did it wrong, let's. Uh, Let's uh, let's move to Pacific Ale. Yeah, and then in a I guess a delicious segue into uh, our next topic, uh, in your new role as the uh, the Chief Judge of the Australian International Beer Awards, nice. how important uh, I guess the new you know uh, keeping up to date or updating the the style guidelines in terms of um, you know new beers coming in into the market and, and I guess getting rid of some of the confusion that's perhaps existed over the last couple of years. Yeah, there's definitely some confusion, and you know, going forward as the you know as the chief judge, uh, you know, with the Australian International Beer Awards, there, there is certainly some challenges ahead of us. You know, that clarity around our styles is you know very very important. There's a whole lot of things around that though. It's uh, you know ensuring that you use the right style guides, and the style guides actually reflect the beers that are being brewed, you know, in your local region as well. Uh, you know, we've judged across the world and, you know, in Australia, New Zealand and uh, the US, there are, you know, local or regional uh, styles. I mean, New Zealand's a classic where they have, you know, New Zealand draft and, uh, you know, actual named New Zealand, uh, you know, styles where, you know, no one else in the country, no one else in the world makes styles like uh, some of those beers. Exactly the same thing going on here in Australia. Uh, you know, obviously the classic one is the, the, the whole pale ale, you know, using Australian hops, using, you know, hops from around the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, like we said, there's, there's, there's challenges, uh, you know, in making sure that we get that right. But, you know, you've got to have a go. I, I, I think it's very important that we get it right. Uh, and I think it's very important that when, you know, people are listening to this, if people have questions and comments, by all means, uh, you know, get them back to us. It's not just me sitting in a room by myself. You know, we have an advisory committee. <clears throat> uh, you know, we, we love getting feedback and comments because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, for those awards, uh, you know, it's important that we get it right. Um, mate, just before we move uh, any further into the CBIA and the uh, 
um, AIBA um, Awards. There were a couple, there've been a couple of questions that have come in from the uh, interwebs. The um, interwebs. Oh, uh, you know the, the this thing that they call the internet. Um, Pat Harrington uh, asks on Facebook, "When is Double Pacific Isle coming?" <laughs> That's obviously a. Uh, oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we can ever say. I don't think we can ever say never. But uh, I'd like to say that it certainly won't be here for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> It, it it does raise an, uh, an interesting question. You you do see a lot of the craft brewers bring out a beer and then they'll bring out an imperial or a double version of, of the beer or Mountain Goat have recently brought out their triple hightail yep. up. Um, you guys have gone a, a, a different way. Um, and, and dare I say, um, I mean, commercial's probably got the wrong sort of connotation, but you've got a, a very strong identity for Pacific Isle, which we've just discussed. Um, and you, you've brought out Jasper, which is a separate beer, but designed to... You know, probably handle a different part of the year, whereas uh, Pacific Ale you can drink all year, but really comes into its own over summer. Jasper's for when the weather gets a little bit cooler, um, and then you've also got your uh, you know, your, your side projects where you do your annual stone beer that you've um, beefed up a little bit this year, and then you've also got your project with the, um, yep. musicians, the, the mash the musicians, the mash And um, you know, it's funny for us as a business. I mean, you've left probably one of the most uh, you know. Uh, technically uh, well-made beers I think that we're you know that we're sort of doing uh, you know the lager the lager for us is very much a German sort of Hellas that style of sort of beer and, uh, you know we're certainly seeing a lot of interest uh, you know in the in the lager as well so you're right I mean a big percentage of what we do is our Pacific Ale uh, then probably comes the lager as you've mentioned you know the Jasper was something that we wanted to do we've wanted to do for the last two or three years you know but haven't had the capacity to actually be able to do that through you know the cooler months interesting in saying that that certainly the the uh, you know the demand for Jasper hasn't slowed down at all uh, you know as the you know as the temperature sort of warms up a little uh, and then yeah we've got the stone beer that we've mentioned the rock uh, where we heat the rocks up uh, that'll certainly you know continue uh, it's a, you know it's a fun project for us you know, we get, uh, you know, various people from the beer community come and actually help us brew that beer. Uh, we then release that beer to a great big party, which is uh, great fun. And, yeah, it's great for the consumer. It's great for the trade. It's great for the media. But, you know, I think one of the really big things with the Stone Beer, especially this year for me, was just how much fun it was doing those, that, that particular brew and those parties with our team, you know, and, I think, you know, we've got a really good, strong team, you know, of uh, people in the brewery, uh, you know, and guys are guys and girls around the country and people in the office, you know, which uh, which have been awesome additions to our business. You know, we've got something like, like 12 or 13 people across our business now and, you know, without all of those guys, uh, yeah, we wouldn't certainly be in the position we're in now. So, uh, and then as you mentioned, sort of the MASH collective piece, uh, you know, that, that really is... Uh, you know, an opportunity for us to... Mate, following on, uh, another question from Facebook. Um, uh, James Davidson uh, asks, any developments on sending Jasper Ale into full-scale year-round production, releasing it in 330ml bottles and buy the six-pack? Um, he reckons he'd buy a slab or two. I guess it, it, it is a year-round thing, but keeping up with demand sounds like it's yeah, a problem. Yeah, you know, and... Uh... 
that's pretty much it in a nutshell. I mean, if we could produce a little bit more of it and not just produce it, but uh, actually have confidence that we're going to have the capacity to be able to continue to produce it. Uh, yeah, we, we'd probably, uh, you know, we'd probably move that into, you know, different uh, formats or, or, or be able to firstly produce more kegs and more of the 500 mil bottles. The Jasper into 330s, uh, yeah, certainly on the drawing board, you know, nothing's off the drawing board, but so again, like uh, like the Pacific Ale, like the double Pacific Ale, uh, you probably won't see it before Christmas. What's the thinking with the 500 mil bottles? A lot of craft brewers have um, jumped into it. Is it is there a popularity thing or is it a little bit like the... Um a marketing thing where we're seeing a lot of craft beers dropping back to four packs because of that you know, mysterious twenty dollar um, price point where sales just die once the beer gets over twenty dollars, and so a four pack for, for say sixteen dollars sells better than a six pack um, at you know twenty two dollars. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, I mean, it was just a really nice size. I mean, five hundred mil, you get to share. You know, share share a bottle. You know, to uh, fairly uh, you know fairly uh, decent glasses of beer. Uh, you know, in in the trade, yeah, we sell it. Uh, you know, for two for ten or two for you know for whatever. Uh, it it just it just gives us uh, that little bit extra uh, out there. We don't do. I'll be honest. We don't do a whole lot of five hundreds. Again, it's that ca uh, capacity piece. Uh, if we could do some more, these are all the sort of things that once we get up to a point that we want to be able to maintain. There's no point releasing some of these things and going to a venue, oh, by the way, we can't produce that this week. Do you want to take 330s? Or, you know, we're, we're out of kegs. Do you want to take the 330s? Or, you know, we're out of 330s or whatever. I think for us, you know, the, that, that very important thing that there are a lot of the trade out there that have uh, been so supportive of us to get us to where we are, uh, we need to ensure that we, you know, continue to help them by not making sure that we run out of beer for them. Uh, I think there's just some real basics in that. Okay. I guess the the, the one last question I've got to ask uh, while you've got your stone and wood hat on still, um, we, we've talked about uh, a lot about how quickly you've grown and some of the issues with that. Um, it, it's no secret that um, at one point early on, uh, Little World Brewing took an equity stake in in the company. I guess that let you that that gave you some additional funds to uh, to fund some sort of this part of the expansion. Yeah, definitely. So you know, it's what three three and a half years ago, something like that. Uh, the Little World guys, uh, you know, came as uh, into our business as a shareholder, very much, you know. Uh, as a as a board member, uh, that they, they really haven't had a lot to do with the actual running of our business. Like you say, uh, back in those days, you know that little bit of extra cash certainly went a long way. Uh, and you know, I suppose the, the I suppose where you're going to now, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the little world brewing business has been bought out by Lion. Lion, uh, you know, going forward, uh, you know, we need to just work out exactly. Uh, what we want to be able to do with, uh, you know, with line, and you know, we have certain provisions, you know, in our shareholders agreement that ensure that as a business we do the right thing for our business. Uh, it's a bit premature for us to be, for me to be saying too much just at the moment because we're still working through it as a board. Uh, but yeah, certainly, you know, certainly in the next few weeks, uh, it'll all become very clear uh, to everyone uh, which way uh, we want to move uh, for the business that is Stone and Wood. But when you say there, there are provisions. One of the you do potentially have, um, I think it's called a change of ownership provision. That if 
if there's a change in the ownership in the business that buys you, you have the right to buy back. Um, is that right? Yeah, That's one of the... yeah definitely. I mean, uh... is, is that something you would recommend? You know, any aspiring craft brewers or small brewers um, who are listening that if they do look at getting an equity stake or you know getting a, a cash injection in the business that they need to think through some of those. Oh, um, downstream. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a really good uh, business question. I mean, you know, we had a lot of advice, you know, in the early days where we're setting our business up, you know, Stonewood Group, Stonewood Brewing Company. There's uh, four of us that started the business. We all had our, uh, you know, legal advice. We also had a business uh, uh, legal advisor, legal representative as well. Uh, you know, so so getting that right in the early stages of your business is very very important. As we moved, uh, you know, down the track, uh, you know, the little world business came on as a twenty percent, uh, you know, uh, shareholder. Yeah, it was very very important to ensure that you know the, the that that uh, agreement and that shareholding uh, was written, you know, with a lot of work. Uh, you know, around the legal side of various things. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm a lawyer that I understand them all, but you know, certainly, uh, certainly get a, get advice uh, from you know some good uh, some good lawyers to make sure that you get it you know to, to get it right. The last question I'll ask before we move off uh, this topic is, you know, and it may not be something you can answer, but you know, there is it's one of those things that uh, you know, little world beverages um, was always seen as being you know, little creatures and everything, but now that it's uh, suddenly lion, is that something that uh, does weigh on your mind in making a decision about, you know, quite apart from the day-to-day practicalities of any involvement that they may or may not have, just the perception that the market may have, oh, you know, those stone and wood guys, they're, you know, 20% owned by Lion Nathan. Is that one of the, the things that you'd have to Oh, consider? definitely, you know, and that's, but that is only one of the one of the things that we need to consider as a business. You know, there are there are a lot of things uh, that we need to weigh up. Uh, you know, and 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 the trade and consumer perception that twenty percent of a business, uh, you know, is is important to them is you know I suppose something that we just need to weigh up. I think at the end of the day, where a lot of people you know jump up and down about ownership of this and ownership of that. You know, but they're happy to drive around in a car owned by a company that's got nothing to do with this country, and they're happy to. You know, buy a TV that's made in the back blocks of nowhere, and they're happy to buy a pair of t- you know, a pair of shoes and a T-shirt that's you know made in Southeast Asia. Uh, you know, I, I think people really need to look you know across the breadth of some of these things, and you know, certainly the ownership, the twenty percent ownership for Line is something that we need to consider, but we'll do it for the right reasons, uh, not just because you know consumers or trade think that we shouldn't be a twenty that, that we shouldn't have a twenty percent uh, ownership. We'll, we'll make our decision. Uh, and you know we'll look forward to uh, you know getting that information, getting that news out there as soon as as soon as we've made it. I can honestly tell you the decision uh, you know up until now has not been made. So as soon as it's made, we'll uh, we'll we'll look forward to letting everyone know. Excellent. Now we might get you to take off your um, head brewer, um, co-owner of Stone and Woodhat, and put on the uh, chair of the uh, Craft Beer Industry Association. Yep, Mate, congratulations on you, on being voted uh, back in May uh, or nominated for the position. Um, do you want to give us a bit of an update on where things are with the CBIA? Yeah, mate. I mean, as you know, we uh, we had the AGM back in May. Uh, you know, it was quite quickly up into June where we we got together as a board. Uh, you know, gave everyone uh, fancy titles, but at the end of the day, we've got some really key uh, areas. 
that we you know that, that we want to uh, you know manage through the, the craft beer industry uh, you know in Australia. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole uh, reason for us to promote, to protect, and grow Australian craft beer is something that's very important to us. And you know, we set goals that we really want to be able to tackle some short-term goals, which are fairly easy, and then you know the, the longer-term goals of uh, you know that are obviously pretty important as well. Things like consumer, you know, awareness and the trade awareness, just getting you know getting out and about, and you know ensuring that the consumer understands what craft beer is and the trade understand what craft beer is. Uh, run, uh, you know, run across things like you know developing and celebrating uh, the quality of craft beer, and you know things like uh, you know doing a, a craft beer conference, something very very important to us, and we'll roll that out uh, in Good Beer Week in Melbourne next uh, you know next May. Uh, the whole professional development, you know, across brewers, uh, across bar staff, across you know anything that touches uh, anything to do with craft beer in this country, you know, something that's very important to us, and I suppose the last little. Uh, you know, piece uh, or last little block, I suppose, is the whole government liaison uh, piece, and you know that's very important. Obviously, the excise piece, everyone uh, everyone has on top of their mind. It's only one piece of the government liaison, uh, you know, piece for us. Uh, things like you know uh, the the excise on kegs that are over forty eight liters. You know, the getting getting that to a more reasonable. Uh, you know, a more reasonable uh, volumetric uh, limit is something that's very important to us. Uh, as we all know, it's not just me sort of sitting on there. We've got a really good team. Uh, obviously, Jeremy Good in WA, Matty B down in um, down in Melbourne. Uh, we've got Dave in Melbourne as well. Dave and uh, Jane Lewis in in Melbourne, and Owen Johnson uh, down in uh, you know down in Tasmania. Uh, Chuck and myself uh, obviously sit on there as well, and then you know we've got an executive that sort of helps us do a lot of the grunt work as well. And uh, you know Chris Chris McNamara has been just fantastic in the last few months, uh, just being able to do uh, just being able to get lots of things uh, actually done. So yeah, I mean like you said. Lots to do, uh, a lot of challenges in front of us. Uh, you know, we're just trying to tick, uh, you know, some of the easy boxes off. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of good things that we've certainly got on the drawing board, you know, going forward. Dare we ask where the great schism's at at the moment? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, we can ask. I mean, certainly, you know, certainly, you know, through the AGM process and, you know, the development of our board and going forward, you know, as a chairman, one thing I certainly said to our, you know, small group at that time was, you know, at the end of the day, we've made a decision, you know, to get involved in the craft beer industry in this country. We have set it up as a very much a holistic approach. At the end of the day, you know, the other guys, uh, you know, were probably a little bit less holistic. But, you know, I, I think we've really got to put that to bed. Uh, we, we don't spend a whole lot of time talking about it. We don't spend a whole lot of time uh, worrying about it. You know, at the end of the day, those five pillars that we just went through are the things that drive us uh, for the industry association. None of us, you know, none, none of us, uh, uh, you know, are out there uh, being paid a whole lot of money to do any of this. It's all off our own back. And the last thing we really need to do is worrying about, you know, some of those negatives. Uh, you know, for us, at the end of the day, we've got lots of things to do and mate, very much look forward to getting them done. I, I guess the one other thing I'd ask you is, I understand, you know, initially membership was open to brewers um, and those with uh, a business interest in the beer industry, but you're about to release a membership for enthusiasts, uh, beer enthusiast membership. Is that right? Yeah, we've actually all, all we've actually uh, had that on the, you know, on the drawing board. You know, right from the very, very beginning. I think that's just an opportunity because we've had so much, uh, 
uh, interest, you know, from individuals, uh, from home brewers. And, you know, for us, it's just an opportunity, you know, to, to get a few more people on the list. And there's just so much interest out there. Uh, it just made a whole lot of sense to actually open that up. Uh, you know, the, the various brewing categories are all out there. We have, you know, the associate, uh, you know, membership you know, various supplies. A lot of people have uh, got on board and you know, I, th I think the individual piece was just, you know, just a bit of a no-brainer where, you know, we had so much interest from, you know, the, the an individual saying, oh, how do I get involved? I want to get involved. Uh, you know, that, that just made a whole lot of sense. And how can they do that? So they, they can just, through the website? Yeah, yeah, yeah just through the website. Uh, you know, that, that'll be on there, as, you know, as part of the uh, application process. Uh, you know, again, something, you know, that uh, Chris has just been working tirelessly on uh, pulling together. That's craftbeer.org.au for anyone that's listening, and we'll uh, put a link in the show notes. Yeah, fantastic. The other thing I'd, I'd love to throw in there as well, Matt, is that, you know, we, we have, uh, you know, each of those pillars of which we have, you know, the individual board member sort of running. We have, uh, you know, a lot of interest from brewers around the country saying, oh, how do I get involved? How do I do this? Uh you know, we'd love, you know, we'd love to be hearing from uh, anyone else who hasn't been uh, in touch with us to get involved and, you know, to come and actually, uh, you know, lend a hand. At the end of the day, it's not our craft beer industry, it's everyone's craft beer industry, obviously, we're all part of. Uh, you know, we'd love to, uh, we, you know, we'd love to see, if there's people out there, we'd love to hear from them, get them involved and, you know, get them on some of these committees, uh, you know, around the country and, you know, around your industry. I think that's really important. Uh, the more people we actually have helping us, uh, the more we're actually going to be able, uh, you know, to, to get done. Bit of a sales pitch there, Matty. <laughs> that's okay. Seamlessly woven into the conversation there, Brad. Beautifully done. <laughs> we'll, we'll bill you for you, bill you for it later. Didn't, didn't sound like uh, an ad at all. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, now we'll, we'll get you to put on your um, beer judging hat. You've just been named as uh, the new uh, head judge for the Australian International Beer Awards. Uh, Prof alluded to that a little bit before. Yep. Um, can you bring us up to speed on that? You know, what, what can we expect next year? Yeah, I suppose just going back a little while, you know, a lot of respect uh, given to the people that have, you know, got that awards. You know, it's 20 years on after all. I mean, you know, that there's a lot of good things, uh, you know, happened through, uh, you know, the Australian International Beer Awards. Uh, it continues to grow. There'll be, you know, 1,200 entries last year. There'll be 1,300, 1,400 plus, I'm sure, entries uh, this year. Uh, you know, going back, when was it May last year? Uh, the AIBA and the RASV and Ballarat University set up a, a you know another external advisory committee of which you know five or six of us uh, you know were asked to, to be involved in. Uh, as that's evolved, uh, you know the committee, the advisory group uh, still meet very regularly. Uh, you know we're quite active ensuring that we you know that we actually get that right. As we mentioned sort of briefly before, the the style guides are really only one part of the way that that whole uh, you know event sort of comes together. Uh, you know, I think there are, again, you know, with the, you know, just like the Craft Beer Industry Association, there's lots of challenges ahead for us with, uh, you know, with, uh, with the judging process, with, you know, the awards style guidelines, uh, you know, the dinner. There's a whole bunch of things which, uh, you know, which we can continue to improve on. Uh, certainly being the chief judge in there gives me, you know, a, a little bit more responsibility to get in and just make sure that some of these things actually uh, can be actioned and, you know, as we move forward, yeah, I I, uh, I look forward to seeing some of these changes. And again, you know, if people have got ideas, by all means, uh, you know, get them to me. Now, there was a little bit of um, 
a, a you know minor storm in a teacup um, when a online uh, news agency that it wasn't Brews News for a change um, quoted Peter Manders last year uh, or earlier this year in uh, some you know, comments that didn't go down very well at the craft industry talking about some of the uh, the beer styles. I, I, I guess it, it's a little bit difficult for you to comment too much on it, but has the judging process needed to catch up a little bit um, with, with the craft brewing industry? Yeah, certainly. You know, I think, you know, the beers, the breweries uh, in this country have certainly evolved a lot quicker than some of the ability of some of the judges that have judged previously. Uh, you know, but I think that's just uh, part of that whole evolution process. I mean, you know, the U in the US with the World Cup, you know, there's 120 different judges uh, you know, you have the ability to ensure that you have a pretty good cross section. You know, when you when you have those sort of numbers, it makes it a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, uh, there'll be some. You know, there'll be certainly a lot of new judges uh, coming in from all over the place. Uh, you know, we've we've already been in contact. You know, with uh, you know with judges across this country, and you know, importantly, judges from across the world, because it's you know pretty important to get an international perspective on some of these things as well. It's also very important. Uh, to ensure that we have, you know, the younger associate judges actually moving up through the process where people can, you know, actually get involved themselves. They can become stewards. They can become, you know, associate judges. Uh, you know, get onto a small program, and that's probably the way we'd like to drive it, you know, going forward. Having a program where we actually ensure that judges learn, you know, not just how to brew and 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 taste one style of beer, but have a, a breadth across the various beer styles. And you know, those people that are interested in doing that, you know, uh, have already been in touch with us. I'm sure there's many, many more out there as well. But you know, a lot of these people we need to develop as people that have been in the industry for a long time. It actually gives me even more satisfaction to see you know younger people come through that you know really show the passion and the joy of what craft beer is all about. They want to understand about the brewing side of things, and they want to understand about the you know the um, you know you know the judging of some of these beers. And it's really satisfying you know for me and you know a lot of brewers in this country to actually watch some of these younger guys come through. And it's up to us to ensure that we you know set up a process to actually develop these guys. So yeah, I mean uh, like I said, lots of changes, and certainly you know the ability to judge across styles is very very important. Uh, I I I don't see a whole. Uh, I, I don't see a whole lot of you know massive massive changes you know you know in one fell swoop. There's you know everything's got to evolve. There's no point uh, sort of throwing it all out in one go. Uh, you know th there's there's lots of good things sort of going on you know in the judging processes in this country and yeah just let's just evolve. Yeah, Brad, as a um, declaring my hand as a, a volunteer steward to which you have alluded, one of the team. Um, I think probably what 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 has come up recently is it's more i guess a clarification of some of the um the style guidelines particularly with um new hop varieties coming in that you know to i guess the first time you taste them if you don't know what to expect from that you can kind of i guess you can either detect it as a fault or you think well geez is this should this be part of the style so in some cases it's a it's a case of saying perhaps this 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 particular style needs to be broadened to incorporate you know some new beers and, and new um techniques and New raw materials that are coming onto the market, so that at the end of the yep. day, we want the best the best beer to be judged based on um, comparing apples with apples, uh, so that everyone gets, I guess, the you know, the fairest crack at it. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and <clears throat> excuse me, as the supplies of our grains, the supplies of our hops, they can, as they continually uh, evolve as well, you know, we need to make sure that the style guidelines are actually keeping up with what they're doing as well. And, you know, we'll, with the changes that the brewers, uh, you know, implementing in their breweries, using some of these new, uh, you know, malts and hops and, you know, processes, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just a simple fact that we need to ensure that we continue to evolve some of these processes. And, you know, maybe that's where in the past, you know, some things in this country haven't been able to do. And I know in the US, uh, every World Cup is, you know, at the end of every session, uh, judges and table captains uh, around the rooms are actually asked to actually write their comments and their feedback about the various styles that they might have just judged or, you know, how things might be improved. And that, that happens at every single session. And, you know, that, that's just, again, a very simple way of making sure that things improve uh, and things, you know, again, I just keep using that word evolve. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a simple thing that we need to be listening to the people that are making the beer. We need to be listening to the people that are drinking the beer. We need to be listening to the suppliers as well. And just staying, you know, on top of, uh, you know, what's going on in our industry. And we need to be able to, you know, say, you know, we're going to change this or we're not going to change this. We need to be able to have those uh, reasons. But I think we need to be able to make those decisions, uh, you know, as we move forward. Excellent. Well, we're well over an hour here, mate. Prop, was there anything else you wanted to ask? Or? No, no, oh, pretty much covered. I don't know if, uh, when I dropped out. Um, I might just throw in a bit. Just, oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. I was just going to say about the masthead. Was Masthead Brewery Brad the uh, the brewing the, like the brew house of yeah Sanctuary? yeah yeah so so what what uh, imagine a shed at Sanctuary Cove in a residential uh, resort environment it was a bloody big shed had its own bar had a couple of bars actually but out the back was a great big brewery full on packaging line boilers uh, it was a twenty five hectolitre uh, copper brew house uh, but it had fifteen. Uh, you know, 15 of these 5,000 litre fermenters. Uh, that was set up by Sanctuary Cove and called the Sanctuary Cove Brewing Company, uh, which they obviously made, uh, you know, some beers. And quite quickly after that, it was then uh, acquired uh, through a lease arrangement by the Fosters Group. Uh, Fosters rebadged that fairly quickly uh, into the Gold Coast Brewery, Gold Coast Brewing Company. It was Gold Coast Brewery, I think, going back a bit. Um, and then, you know, certainly, uh, certainly when we got there, uh, you know, it was, you know, changed again into the Masthead Brewing Company. So the Masthead Brewing Company, uh, you know, housed the brewery and the bar under one, under one shed, exactly like you would see a normal brewery, you know, sorry, it's a brewery, sorry, uh, you know, today. It, uh, it was the entity that, you know, was on the labels, was on the, you know, the, the front, uh, you know, the front wall. It was, it was a poster that I hang in my sh in my shed at the moment. So, <laughs> now that's good. That, that that'll just clarify some trivia question answers. And uh, one, another trivia question answer. One of the beers that's really credited with kickstarting the you know the, the current revival, particularly over the last decade of craft beer or the last twelve years, was the Little Creatures Pale Ale. And many um, say that it was the first uh, American style pale ale to really hit our shores. But uh, I understand that maybe the masthead was dabbling in American style parallels uh, just a touch before the uh, little creatures came on the market. Yeah, we were certainly uh, we were certainly playing around with the whole American parallel, the whole cascade uh, hop piece. Uh, you know, it, you're probably going back. It was definitely '99 or 2000. I could actually pull out the brewing card or get the boys back at Foster's to pull out the brewing cards. I'm sure. 
Oh, mate, we, we, we've sent them back to the history books enough uh, lately, I think. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah. I, I think, I think you know, don't, uh, don't tell them we sent you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was... Keep our name out of it, please. It, it would have been, you know, it would have been days or weeks or something in it. But, yeah, I mean, it was very, very close. Uh, obviously, you know, the way the little creatures live back in those days, it was called, uh, and then that evolved into the little creatures pale ale. The way that beer, uh, you know, took off so quickly, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you'd certainly have to give them fair credit for the whole American pale ale in this country. It is was the beer that you you're talking about? Is that what is now known as Alpha Pale Ale, or is Alpha just another no. American pale ale? It's quite separate. No, no, Alpha Pale Ale was the beer that we went forward on day one out of the Masthead Brewery. Uh, that started, uh, you know, as a beer very very similar to what it is now, but it's. Uh, it's evolved certainly into a beer that's massive, uh, you know, for the for the Matilda Bay business uh, now. Excellent. Uh, well, mate, I, I think that's, uh, you know, we, we'll have to make sure that we get you on again, you know, before another 18 months. <laughs> Maybe passes, because, some, uh, some short stints of bits and pieces. <laughs> exactly. We, 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 we might get you on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, as I said, you know, there was a lot that we could talk yeah. about, and uh, I don't think we could get you on without going through, uh, you know, some of the background to let people know a little bit more about Brad Rogers and Stonewood. So, uh, Brad Rogers, thank you very much for joining uh, us on Radio Brews News. Congratulations on on all of the things we've talked about today, and uh, we look forward to watching with interest uh, how you know, the, the CBIA, the AIBA, and uh, Stonewood continue to Mate, go. Fantastic! I look forward to it, and uh, puts a smile on my face every day. As as does your as does your beer to ours. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we need to be able to do this in the afternoon so we can actually have a couple. Well, yeah, that, that's very. We should true. have hooked this up. Oh, you, you know, four o'clock. Oh, in sorry, the... I, I have been. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, yeah, just for the listeners, was, we started at eleven o'clock in the morning, ten o'clock Brisbane time. I, sorry, I didn't I didn't get that memo, Matt. <laughs> I'm on my third. <laughs> that's why you dropped out. Long that's way. it. I love you, bro. All right. Take okay, care, Brad. Talk to you again very okay, soon. Speak to you soon. Cheers. So, Prof, um, mate, what, what do you make of that? Well, look, always great to listen to, I mean, someone who's been around, and not just not just the longevity, not just the, the amount of time that he spent in the craft beer community and in the industry side of things, uh, but just the, the changes that he's seen, the innovations, uh, and a lot of which he's, he's never going to blow his own trumpet and, and sort of stand up and say, well, actually, I was, you know, at the forefront or involved in a lot of those innovations. But the reality is that particularly in, in the development of some of the beers and along with Jamie Cook, you know, the marketing of some of the beers, particularly in their time at, um, at Matilda Bay, that really, I guess, put craft beer, um, whilst it's still, as Brad alluded to, that, that discovery factor, is great for new people rather than being told by their tally or a big poster or a billboard, you know, that you, you should be out there drinking this beer. The discovery factor is, is part, of the, uh, part of the journey and part of the joy. Um, but the whole marketing side of things and uh, I guess promoting the craft beer as a, a sector within a segment, um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to hear stories from people who, who have been there and done yeah. it. And, and, and he's still there. Yeah, no, and I mean, he has been around. He's, he's sort of worked in a lot of camps. I mean, Brad's a, a very clever guy. He's very um, politically savvy guy is, is, is a way. You know, he, he's, he's not going to say too much out of turn. You know, there are some guys that are probably very, very forthcoming. But, uh, you know, he answered all the questions. He sort of uh, was there. But, uh, you know, yep. he is a very modest guy. And he's very, um, you know, careful to make sure that everybody gets... The, the credit they deserve. Um, so it was nice to hear him say that. But, you know, I, I think that he can really stand up and, 
you know, not that he, he ever do this, so we have to do it for him. But you know, he he really is a um, leader in the craft beer industry. Um, not self chosen, but he's just there. You know, he he's donates a lot of time to being involved in a lot of things that don't necessarily benefit his brewery. When he was announced as the head of um, or the, the new chief judge for the AIBAs, I I'm posted a photo of him and said, you know. This is a recent photo of him so his wife and children remember what he looks like because he does spend a lot of time at home, away from home and it's not just doing his um, stone and yeah. wood business. So, And, you know, he's, he's very highly respected in the industry, not just here but, you know, overseas. Um, so, yeah, no, look, it's, it's fascinating to hear what he says. It's, you know, it's, it's always good to talk to. It's always scary to have a beer with him. Um, that was the other thing. And, look, based on that, just... It, it, well, there's no such thing as a beer with Brad Rogers, and I, I have to say, Newcastle Craft Beer Week last year, uh, one of the scariest moments of my life because it's the one that you, you always hear people talk about, and the the you know the, the sort of the old wives' tales and the, the the cautionary tales. Whatever you do, don't don't end up being the last man in the bar with Brad Rogers. And uh, I sort of all of a sudden realised that um, you and everyone else had kind of just quietly slipped away, and and I turned around, and there I am in the at the the front bar of the Albion Ale House, with just me and Brad Rogers and lots of beer, and I thought, oh, this this cannot end well. And then, luckily, uh, a rugby union game came on, and uh, he was momentarily distracted, and I was able to run up and uh, get a few hours sleep. So yeah, no, it, it's a little bit like that uh, <laughs> with him, but uh, no, great, great to have a chat, great to listen to what he had to say, and uh, mate, we're coming up. Easily to an hour and twenty now, so we might uh, scoot on out of here, strike up the band, the appropriate band for uh, Oktoberfest or October. Um, always good to chat hey. to you, Prof. Um, although we, you and I, didn't do much chatting today, but we'll, we'll make up for that on other days. Um, yeah, for and, sure. Uh, yeah, mate. Look forward to catching up with you very soon. Talk to you soon. Yeah, we'll do. See you, listeners. Enjoy the music. Enjoy some lovely crafting. And we're out.